Welcome to the Wealth Inequality Initiative podcast, shedding light on wealth inequality through exceptional personalities from around the world. Today, Christoph Schmocker, CEO of the Julius Baer Foundation, meets Tuli Madonsela, the renowned law professor at the University of Stellenbosch in South Africa and former public protector of South Africa, to discuss the issue of wealth inequality and its possible solutions in the country. Hello, everybody. I'm Christoph Schmocker. I work for the Julius Baer Foundation in Switzerland. And I have the great pleasure to do this first podcast with uh, a person I admire personally very much, Professor Tuli Madonsela. And I'm proud to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Do you feel comfortable? I do. Thank you for the privilege, uh, Christoph. It's a pleasure to meet you finally. We are in Stellenbosch, so the people who don't know where that is, that's a beautiful city, 120,000 inhabitants here in Stellenbosch, very nice place with a big university uh, where you work, I think since two years. Previously, you were you are a lawyer, you worked uh, at the, you, you made your studies at the high court, and then you were for seven years, if I'm right, the public protector. Can you explain to people, what is a public protector? In, in my country, in Switzerland, in Europe, we don't know what that is. The public protector is like the Swiss ombudsman, okay. if, if you do have an ombudsman, yes. but most European countries do. The only difference between the public protector and an ombudsman is, is that the public protector has a wider scope and more powers. I lived in South Africa from 2011 to 2016. You were very present at that time. But you were, uh, let's say, helping to develop the country even before. I read that you did also uh, part of the team of the constitution. I think South Africa is one of the best constitution in the world. New, you had the chance to define it newly in the mid-90s, end of the 90s. And you were there asked by uh, President Mandela at that time to be part of that team. Is that right? But certainly, it was a privilege. To, to be asked to be imagine. among the cool team of 11 drafters. And yes, we, we then helped the Constitutional Assembly to draft the Constitution. It's nice to know that uh, it anticipated a whole lot of the problems, including those that I had to deal with as the pub protect. Privately, you have two children, adults today. You live here in, in, in the Western Cape and you are since 2018 a professor at the university. What exactly is your title at the university? What would be on your business card if you would give me your business card of the position you have now at the university? Right. Sorry, I forgot my business cards. <laughs> we must blame it on COVID that we really go out these days. My title is Professor of Law. And, and chair in social justice studies. It's, it's a weird thing, this thing of being a chair, because I, I suspect that the original idea was that you occupy a chair, but now we've become the chairs ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a chair in social justice studies and research, and a lot of my work is about 50% teaching law, constitutional law, social justice, in administrative law uh, to students and to people in government as part of a continuation of the transformation 
project because you know transformative constitutionalism the second part of my job is his social impact work looking at how do we accelerate the pace of change to end poverty and reduce structural and systemic inequality People tell me about you, you, you look very uh, warm and friendly, but you, you were very consequent, a big fighter, a word like upright and someone who never gives up, you know. Is that a, a good description of you or uh, am I wrong to say that you are a, a strong fighter since years, by the way, or is that what you would describe yourself? Well, it would say, but um, I'm, a, I'm tenacious and resilient in, in the pursuit of the things that I love. And I have, for as long as I can remember, been committed to um, the pursuit of justice. Whether we call it a fight or we just call it um, a quest, I'm not quite sure. But yes, if I believe that doing something is going to move the needle on justice, I stick with it, and I think I got the label of being tenacious uh, during my days as a perpetrator. And the reality was that we had defined ourselves as an institution that's helping people to exact accountability in the exercise of state power, uh, an institution that makes sure that if people have been wronged by government, they get remedies expeditiously and therefore we would not let go of any case whether big or small until we had gotten to the bottom of the truth and and ensured that if there was indeed impropriety or injustice there is accountability for that what would you tell young women 20 22 years old coming to your class lectures uh, your your what you call it classes um, what do they have to consider to to make this country more equal well my first uh, at when I meet students girls or boys particularly girls is to congratulate them on having led themselves to this point, because we think about leadership as leading others. But people who succeed are not always the smartest, uh, the most privileged, but they're the ones who have grit and commitment, who stay on despite adversities, despite the storms of life. So I, 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 I congratulate them on that and tell them that, okay, you've summited one mountain, but as Mandela said, when you summit one, you realize that there are many more to summit. And, and therefore, you're starting at the bottom of another one. And um, this country is going to count on you, firstly, to finish your degree. But I then also tell them the importance of social justice lawyering, that lawyers can either choose to be part of the problem or part of the solution in terms of creating a world that is attuned to equality, and a world that uh, is attuned to ending uh, poverty. And it all boils down to social justice lawyering. And I tell them about social justice be, being about fair, just, and equitable dis distribution 
of all resources, which obviously includes wealth, uh, opportunities, privileges, and burdens in society, and, and, and that they can't take responsibility for the, the fact that the world is fractured and the world is extremely unequal and that our country in particular is very fractured because of the growing inequalities that can be traced primarily to the past, but they have a responsibility to create the world they want to live in. Do you say to your female students different things or adding something that uh, compared to your male students? When it comes to girls, I do indicate that the challenges you will face will include gender-based discrimination and that don't let that get in your way. Look at the women that have gone before you. Yes, your challenges are different, but I tell students and any other young people that I meet, including those I meet under epic leadership offered by the Juma Foundation, that when they tell you that you live in a VUCA world, it's a myth. The world has always been VUCA. There's always been volatility, uncertainty, concept, um, uh, complexity, and ambiguity. It's just that the complexities of each period have differed. And they don't see it as if the universe has conspired to make your lives difficult. Every generation has faced difficulties, and every generation has had to define for itself what is the present challenge of its time and to rise to the occasion. So, Tuli, uh, I read in uh, a research on 2019 that 1% in South Africa own 55% of the wealth. Does that make you angry? Well, it, it makes me sad simply because with that 1% owning more than half the wealth in this country, there are people that go without food on a day-to-day basis. I still go to the townships and also as part of the social justice M plan, I interface with communities, including Kamandi here in Stellenbosch and other communities. And I'm confronted with people who say that they're lucky sometimes to eat three meals a week. I'm also involved with students. We have a project that's called Action for Inclusion of students whom, if my partner hadn't offered a uh, surety, they would not be at university this year. So it does sadden me, but I also have hope because I've found that as we reach out to people about the need to capitalize on every human being in this country, that not only could we make a dent on fracture as part of healing the divisions of the past, which is part of our preamble, but we also are going to find ourselves having more people that are well capitalized to allow this country to grow to its full potential. And I find that I've spoken to hundreds of businesses in the last three years, and the response is usually positive. Uh, in terms of translating it into delivery, it takes a while. 
we experience, so uh, our way of bringing wealthy and disadvantaged group together is sometimes a challenge because the wealthy um, perceive to make donations for poverty reduction projects as their duty, and but also that's where it ends. So uh, uh, such a high respected person as you are, could you convince wealthy people, white or black, it doesn't matter, to you know, be part of your projects, be it in the university, be it in your charities which you are involved in, or are they staying observers who donate? I must be honest with you, Christoph, that I haven't done adequately in getting people to get involved, except, for example, with Action for Inclusion, we've asked the, the business community to walk with us, to hike with us. And uh, a whole lot of youngish business people in the area of uh, Heidelberg and Somerset Worst have been joining these hikes, um, but not enough. In terms of your approach, which is recommended by by uh, Rosa Petrmoff's counter in Harvard, that you should be part of the solution, not just give the money. But I must say, we haven't approached extremely wealthy people, and therefore we cannot blame them and say they haven't, they haven't accepted the request to become part of the conceptualization of solutions and the implementation process. I want to come back on the, the drivers affecting uh, wealth, uh, wealth inequality gap. So I have a, a little game in my culture. I'm very well known for a one to 10 person. So 10 means very much and one means not at all. So if I would ask you how crucial is education in reducing wealth inequality, what, what rate you would give it? I'll give it a nine. Okay. So very important, huh? Yes. What about breaking family patterns and uh, breaching generation and boundaries? You know, these young people may not have role models. I would give it uh, another, maybe an eight. Mm -hmm. Mobility. I see a lot of people come from other provinces to Gauteng and to the Western uh, Cape because the, the universities are here. So how important is mobility to reduce wealth inequality? Ten. Housing, if they don't have a, a campus here in at the university's uh, place, is housing an issue in reducing wealth inequality? Absolutely, I'm afraid I'm going to give it a 10 because it's also an asset. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, network. There was a study by the DJ Murray Trust uh, two, three years ago that uh, African student has two to three people he can call when he has done his studies to, off, to ask for a job. And uh, white students have 48. So network, is that an issue? Absolutely, that's why, uh, yeah, absolutely. I would give it, um, I would give it eight or nine. And it's important. I think none of these are important all on their own. They all um, either work together to keep you down or work together to lift you up. Like they say, poverty operates like an epidemic. 
So these things come together to either make it go up or come together to um, to reduce it. Did I forget one? Well, I, I would think for me, um, land, people think um, assets are not important. They are important because they would determine, for example, um, what base do you start from? Uh, if you look at, for example, my generation, you'd find that uh, you have a pseudo-middle class in that that class doesn't have assets except a house that is bonded. If that person loses their job, they're back to where they, they came from. But when it comes to assets for me, I think community assets as well are important. And that's what Stats SA says is, Having land, having assets in your own home, like a car, etc., is important. But also the kinds of community assets such as roads, bridges. I know if you live in a proper country, well, no, if you live in a developed country, you, you, you can't imagine the, the reality of that or there are people who often don't go to school on certain days because it's raining and because the children have to take off their clothes and go through a river and die. And of course, it's part of the vestiges of apartheid, but also poor policy in, 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 in the last 26 years, plus corruption in terms of building some of those. But just poor choices sometimes. Building a stadium when you could have built a community center or building a stadium when you could have built a dam Dams are part of the assets, especially with global warming and agriculture. You know, for example, uh, Ghana decided a dam in every village. For me, I think that's important with the declining uh, rains and, and agriculture. So I would say yes, assets. I would also say capital. Just access to capital. Uh, I want to share with you, Julie, when I worked here, one of the biggest differences I saw on young people was the self-confidence. Uh, and self-confidence has to do with where I come from, what I was told, what value system I was told by my parents, my teachers, so on. And then I go to these big universities and, and there's a lot of content and theory and stuff which I have to, to learn. Do you do at Stellenbosch University invest in, in the self-confidence, in the personality of the people? I must say the university does teach self-confidence as part of social impact. However, it's voluntary. And therefore, it's probably 1% of the students that are part of that. But now that we've raised it honestly, especially um, in the light of the mental health and the anxieties, the insecurities that we're going to face moving away from COVID, it's going to be like the post-World War period. And I think you've just touched on something that I think I'm meeting my colleague at Kaamandi this afternoon, Dr. Les Van Roy, to say, why don't we maybe extend some of it to everyone? For example, with the orientation, it goes to everyone. So they, they could include 
the issue of confidence building. And for me, it's not just for historically disadvantaged students, is that because of the fractured society, because of being a transitional society, there's just everyone feeling not sure where do I fit in in this thing? Is my future guaranteed? Why do, do, do they do these things? Why are bridges extended to certain communities and not to some communities? To reduce fracture, to increase hope and belief in the transformation project, I think everyone needs to be exposed. I do work with the Tuma Foundation, which is named Tuli Madansala Foundation, but we prefer to call it Tuma Foundation. They have a project. So Tuma Foundation, not Zuma Foundation. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I couldn't resist a... <laughs> to do that joke. It's really, exactly. Tuma Foundation. Huh? They used to tease me like that at, when I was at Harvard College, saying see, Tuma Foundation, Zuma Foundation. Yeah. It does sound very similar. Um, at the Tuma Foundation, they have a project that actually started when I was perpetrator. Uh, it's, it's called Epic Leadership, and these young people are trained to use the Epic Leadership Code to govern their own lives and to impact on society. Epic Leadership is leadership that is ethical, purpose-driven, impact-conscious, and committed to serve. And um, it includes also an element of it of uh, how to be agile and resilient in uh, in radical uncertainty. I have noticed the difference and one of our graduates from that project has now gone on to win and I think he's now won his fourth prize and he always attributes it to the Epic Leadership Program. So what does it say is that um, confidence is built by teaching people about social justice, about the fact that uh, the Universal Declaration in the Constitution says we're all created equal and we have a right to be here, but there are inequalities and we can all play a part in, in, in breaching those inequalities, but also then exposing them to these environments where they interact as equals with people from uh, different communities, uh, in terms of wealth, in terms of color, in terms of gender and and race. We started with you our series Unequal Moments and we want to end those podcasts with a question about if you could meet anybody alive uh, on the world which you would like to have a discussion about uh, inequality or unequal situations. Who would that be? I hadn't thought about it, but um, maybe it would be maybe it could be Klaus Schwab. Oh, the Mr. Weff. Yes, uh, because um, he made the fourth industrial revolution trend and and go viral. And uh, I've spoken to several world leaders. I've been in the UN uh, Global Compact, One Young World, um, the world with, but not the big with, the, the, the uh, global agenda advisory councils. I was on one on corruption, but I haven't heard him. What does he think needs to be done? 
on a very deliberate way, on a very vision-based way to um, disrupt wealth inequality. I would love to have an, an, a conversation with him and also about what, what can he do to help us to make it happen. Having access to this kind of platform where all the, the leaders are there, yeah. Interesting, he lives by accident in Switzerland, so let me find out if we can have access to Mr. Schwab. So Tuli, thanks a lot for the chat, and I thank you that you, you dedicate the time and brain and soul and feelings with me, and I was uh, uh, really comfortable in that chat. And we thank you that you let us uh, participate in your thoughts and in your work and hope to see you again in another occasion. Thank you very much. It's been an honor thank you. and, and thank privilege. You. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Inequality Initiative podcast. How did you find this episode? Please share your thoughts and comments at foundation at juliusbear.com or go to www.wealth-inequality.net for more insights into the pressing issue of wealth inequality.